0: Hey folks, it's Marty Plum, the host of a Pen and a Napkin podcast here, and I know you're tuning in uh, to listen to our latest review of Winning Time, the, the story of the Los Angeles Lakers and the growth of the Lakers dynasty, uh, but before we jump into that, uh, if, if you've listened to any of these podcasts or any of the podcasts that Casey and I have done together, uh, it's usually pretty lighthearted, uh, all things considered really stupid stuff. Uh, you know, what we're talking about is definitely not the most important th- uh, topics or information in the world. And we're really blessed to be in a situation where we have the ability to, uh, have that, yeah, have the opportunity to do that and to hopefully entertain uh, some people while we're doing this. Uh, but both Casey and I, we, we, we kind of talked here the last few days, and we've both been through uh, a couple of tough situations, and it's something that uh, we wanted to talk about just for a couple of minutes, especially this time of year. Uh, we know uh, there's a lot of basketball people that listen to this, and it's it's a tough time for for coaches. Um, there's a lot of challenges, and you know we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, mental health. Uh, we have both, unfortunately, within the last ten days or so, uh, lost someone that we knew to suicide. Um, I'll let Casey talk about his situation here in just a second. Uh, for me, and I posted something on Twitter, so a lot of you know about this. Uh, one of my former students uh, you know, made, a, uh, made the unfortunate decision to uh, take her own life last week. And she was an absolutely awesome kid. Just a, a great kid. Her name was Paige. She was full of life, full of energy, and uh, just was a joy to have. In class, and I moved on to a new teaching job. Paige was a senior uh, this year. Uh, my daughter is a senior in the same class with her, and uh, it's been a tough series of conversations that my wife and I have had with our kids about uh, a very serious topic. Um, you know, Casey, I'll let you explain uh, the circumstances of your situation and and just kind of let you say what what you want to say about uh the the stuff you've been through the last week and a half or so
1: yeah i lost a buddy that i played softball with for slow pitch softball with for almost 10 years um he decided to take his life um almost two weeks ago now and it's i mean it's it's kind of crazy i mean a young man early 30s has a one-year-old daughter been married a little over two years and um, decided to take his own life and that I mean it's it's crazy I mean you go from you talking about an 18 year old to a 33 year old um, that decides to make that choice and it's it's tough to tough to handle in, e- in either situation it doesn't matter how old or how young you are um, and how much how close you are to that person mm-hmm. um it's it was a tough weekend um with the funeral and everything this last weekend um, but a good weekend but a good weekend in the wrong way yeah. um, it's great to see so many people that you don't see i mean it's winter it's it's my basketball season. So I don't get to see a lot of my friends that I play, see with in the summer when I play softball.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and with softball season starting up here in a couple of weeks, you, I was expecting to see everybody then. And now it it was a little earlier than planned, mm-hmm. um, to have to get together for the wrong reason.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm sure you're just like I was shocked, uh, hurt, um, Putting yourselves in the shoes of the family, and you know all of those affected—his wife, um, his extended family—I uh, don't know his personal situation. You know if his parents are still alive, so forth and so on. But uh, I know it was really difficult at the wake the other night. Um, I took my daughter, and I wanted to talk to her parents for just a few seconds. I mean, literally, it was it was thirty seconds apiece to each one of the parents. But I felt better about it. Uh, And I know I was just a a face in the crowd of literally thousands of people, I think, that came through there. Um, So, you know, that's kind of the hardest part, is the ripple effects of these type of events, in my my opinion.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think just reaching out and talking to them, um, to family members or anybody is tough because they're putting on I mean, it's tough either way, but they're putting on a happy face or trying to put on an emotional good face right now Mm -hmm. um, to try to get through it. And they're going to get these first week or two for both families are going to be okay because they're going to have a lot of people around them, a lot of people family wise together with them. The toughest thing, um, I think, for both the families, it will be in three weeks, a month. When I don't want to say everyone gets back to their life, but everyone gets back to doing their daily things. I mean, they both, both, uh, both families and friends and everybody will still have these two people's lives and their memories, but they've got to get back to work. And I think that's going to be the toughest thing for the parents for both, both of them, wives, siblings. Mm -hmm. That's going to be tough. Isn't it going to have to, move, start moving in the right direction yeah. and not, and not put them in the situation or think that they did something wrong, that they decide to make some mistake yeah, or try to think it's their fault or something like that.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I went through it when my mom passed away and, and I've always called it the deafening silence, uh, because everybody else has moved on with their life. Or uh, they're not moving on. They they know that you're going through stuff, but they've kind of gotten back to their life for the most part. Yeah. And and you're dealing with this this uh, crater, uh, this meteorite that has just destroyed your life. And and I agree with you that uh, you know three weeks from now, this is this is when the really really hard stuff kicks in for for the respective families that we're talking about. So. Um, you know, coaches. You know, Casey and I have talked about it. We've we've both done this job for a long time. Our our mental health is uh, is fragile. It is important. It is important that we take care of ourselves. And one of the things that I really learned being out for two years is we as coaches have to take care of one another. And we 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 put up with a lot. To do something that we love, and we're not as appreciated as we should be, and we—if uh, we have 99 strengths and one fault, we are too often pointed out for the one fault rather than the 99 strengths that we have. And so, from Casey and I, uh, we just wanted to to tell people that we're thinking about you. You are not alone. You are loved. Uh, if you need help reach out to somebody talk to somebody um, if you really if if you need help or if somebody has talked to you and you're not sure what to do uh, the national suicide prevention hotline is 800 273 8255 that's 800 273 talk 8255 and another hotline that can help you is the boys town National Hotline, uh, 800-448-3000. Coaches, we are are blessed to do what we do, uh, but that doesn't mean that we don't have the same ups and downs as everybody else. So from Casey and I, uh, like I said, we've been really lucky to do a bunch of silly podcasts. And in a little bit, we're going to talk about some silly stuff here again uh but we both felt like it was really important to talk about this because we've both uh just had uh, a tough week week and a half dealing with this very topic uh casey anything else you wanted to say
1: no i mean it's if if you're friends or family of both people that have passed it's okay to be angry um you can be sad you can be angry um about the whole situation. Um, but always talk to somebody, reach out if you need something. Marty gave all the numbers and everything. Use those if you need it. Um, everybody goes through a tough time, um, sometime in their life. It, and hopefully it doesn't lead to um, you making this, the, that decision. Um, but always find someone to talk to, reach out. Don't be scared to ask for help. That's the big thing. Don't be scared to ask for help.
0: If you ask for help, it's actually a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. And that makes you a a very strong person to admit that you don't have all the answers. So uh, we're going to take a little break and we're going to talk about winning time. Uh, But coaches and everybody who's listening to this pod, take care of yourself and Take care of those that you love and everybody around you. That means a lot to you. Good afternoon, good evening. This is Marty Plum and I am the host of a pen and a napkin podcast. Welcome to episode number five of Winning Time, the story of the building of the dynasty of the Los Angeles Lakers. This episode, episode number five, was called, or is called, Pieces of a Man. And I think that Pieces of a Man is about seven foot three. Three war goggles scored about thirty-eight thousand points and change. And there's various pieces of this man that was dissected in this episode, Mister Hall. What? Uh, first of all, welcome back, my friend. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, uh, what? Uh, what? What did you think? What? What was kind of your overall impressions of this episode?
1: Um, I thought it was all right. Um. It was the story of Kareem pretty much
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, from, I guess, to his youth, to his kind of skipped his middle age stuff and everything. But mm-hmm. for the most part, from his youth and how he was growing up and the things he saw to how he was as a man, um, went to Lakers there in 79 and 80.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and there's – there uh, as we saw – this episode uh kareem was uh safe to say a multi-layered man
1: Uh, there was many many uh how do i want to say it many many pieces to peel off of him
0: yes a pieces of a man uh (laughs) but uh they only there's a lot more and and again we we won't know uh until we get further down the line here and we get through the entire season, how much more of his backstory they're going to go in. But just from what I know of Kareem, um, there's much more to it. Uh, there's there's a lot of stuff that they left out. Um, let's do this. Because we, we did talk a little bit before we started taping this portion of it. We just kind of said, you know, this is essentially the Kareem episode. Wouldn't you agree, Case?
1: Oh, yeah, by far.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we're going to spend a lot of time, and, and again— uh, it's hard to believe that the guy who is the all-time leading scorer in NBA history is now, in many ways, kind of an underrated player in the history of the game. But he is kind of, if you if you think about it, maybe we, we talk about Magic, we talk about Bird because of their great rivalry. We talk about Wilton Russell. We talk about Jordan because he's Jordan, and he won six championships. Uh, you know, LeBron. Uh, and so, but, but Kareem, in, in a lot of ways... Has kind of gotten lost in the shuffle of things, and I and I and I think that that's kind of one place we could start at is 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 his place in the game and um, just his his importance to the history of the game. How about we start there, Mister Hall? Does that sound alright? Yeah. Right? Okay.
1: Yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, and the late seventies and even before that, when he had his runs with uh, Bucs um, and his early time with the Lakers as well. Um, basketball was kind of on the back burner.
0: Absolutely. Yep. Um,
1: and I think, I don't know if I heard it like after the show when they do the Rick Fox thing and he talks to one of the producers or if I heard it somewhere else, and maybe you and I have already talked about this, but that late, the We'll find out as we go, and everyone knows that Lakers and Celtics played in the championship or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the very last non-live NBA Finals.
0: Yeah, yeah, right I'm pretty right sure around. I
1: heard that, and I don't know if I was talking to you about that or somebody else, or I heard it on TV, mm-hmm. and I kind of forgot about that because you always think they're all live. Yeah. So I think that's one big thing that everyone forgets about Kareem is no one really saw him play. Yeah, unless or- you saw reed broadcast or I mean, in the NBA, I mean, everyone mm-hmm. knew what he did at UCLA with John Wood and everything. Yeah, but you, you think Magic and Bird—they came to life when it started to becoming not being on TV more and more, mm-hmm. and then you got Jordan, and then you got Isaiah, and then you keep going through all the big names.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, they they kind of got more publicized then. And I think that's one thing. Also with Kareem, but I think another thing with that is on Kareem is he was a very secretive man or hidden man. He didn't want to be out in the public as much.
0: Yeah, yeah. And a a deep, obviously a very deep thinker. Um, Yeah. You know, um, know, I'm going to backtrack a little bit on what you were saying, and I agree with you. Uh, People didn't see him play, even though he was by far and away the best player in the NBA, in the 1970s even and he's in Los Angeles he's in the second biggest market in the in the country but as we've learned through four episodes and now the fifth one where we spent more time with Kareem in this episode than all the other four episodes combined and now you kind of see the how that made sense in the in the what the the story arc that they were building for the show yeah uh but Kareem was obviously not a telegenic personality, um, to say the least. I mean, you know, he came out in in, in a movie that you and I grew up with, with Airplane. I mean, you know, he's hilarious in, in Airplane. What made him hilarious was he's completely opposite of the person that he really was. He's playing this character that's just completely different than who he, than who he truly is. And, and he did an awesome part and he, and he had those aspects of his personality. He just didn't want to show it to anybody because he was so, he was so guarded for, for all the things, not only all the things that he went through as a youth, being a, an African-American man during the 1960s, but also being a seven foot two African-American man in the 1960s being the most recruited player in the country during all of the the civil rights uh tumult that 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 happened in the 60s and right. and uh you know so he had his guard up the entire time uh he was in some ways kind of lebron before lebron he was the most hyped basketball player uh since wilt chamberlain and since since he was in high school, you know you're you got to go again. Jordan was never hyped like that as a high school player. I mean, you know, you, you probably have to jump all the way to LeBron to have a high school player that was hyped the same way that Lou Alcindor was. And yeah. so I, I'm sure he had people grabbing at him, pulling at him, you know, just wanting a piece of him, a piece of the man. Back to the, the to the theme of the show, and mm-hmm. he's actually this really really smart guy who was uh, wary of everyone around him and and so when the league tried to build itself around its best player his the best player no pun intended here didn't want to play ball with the league because he felt like he was being taken advantage of just like everybody else had tried to take advantage of him for his entire life
1: yeah yep and he didn't he and he did a great job of Kind of segregating, I don't want to say, se- I guess, segregating or getting away, or getting himself away from all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was. I mean, it was very interesting to kind of see how he carried himself on and off the court. Yeah, uh, just the way he dealt with people um, in general, even his girlfriend or wife. I think it was um, his
0: se- I think that was his second wife.
1: I, I, yeah,
0: yeah, he had divorced his first wife after they left Milwaukee, I believe, or something like that, if I remember correctly.
1: So, um, just to see how he carried himself through all that was very interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's there's this obviously uh, he made the decision to convert to Islam at a time where Islam was. I mean, you know, it was associated with Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad and these radical, you know, in America, the Nation of Islam, and that type of stuff. Um, he then ends up in Milwaukee, um, and and he forced his way to Los Angeles. You know, that's the you know the history of it. But you know, some things that that aren't as well known about Kareem. Number one, he uh, his house. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this subtle uh, background thing with Kareem, uh, Casey, but he's always listening to jazz music, and and he's a big music fan. And his house uh, burnt down, and he had this massive collection of jazz records, like literally thousands of jazz records that were lost as a result of this house fire. And there was another thing where uh, it was like 1970, it was in the 70s, um, and, and I'm probably going to get the, a little bit of the uh, inaccuracy of this uh, here, but I know he was associated with a group of Muslims in Washington, I believe it was, and they're... Uh, he was spending time with them on and off, and visiting this 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 place, this residence in Washington. And at some point, there was a a, a murder or a uh, a mass murder of two, three, four people. I forget the exact number of these uh, folks that Kareem spent a lot of time with socially. And if he had been in the wrong place at the wrong time, he may have been a victim with those people as well. And I believe today we would kind of call it a hate crime, uh, essentially. Right. Um, And and so, you, and those are things, like I said, this wasn't in the episode, uh, let alone all the other things that we've seen within the show that Kareem has put his guard up about, and they went really into depth with that in this episode as well. So, uh, a a very complicated human being, without a doubt.
1: Yes, yes. There was many pieces, as we say, many pieces of a man, Uh for ins and outs, off the floor, outside, from family life to... Just his life as an adult in general.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but he's kind of made a little bit of a renaissance in the public eye. Um, he's done a lot of writing. He's done some stuff. He was in the. Did you see? He was in the news yesterday. I want to say for criticizing LeBron and some yeah, of LeBron's I, I actions. Saw,
1: saw that interview on Sunday.
0: Yeah. What was all into? I didn't see the interview. What did it? What did it say?
1: Um, it just talked about how. Well, they brought it up how LeBron's going to pass him in scoring. Um, here coming up. Well, he would have, I guess, if he would have played. If LeBron plays any games the rest of the year, so he's close to passing him in total points. And he just kind of—they were talking about it, and then he said how much LeBron's done for the game, but then he kind of backtracked and said that he also has hurt the game some. So it—it mm-hmm. it was, it was kind of interesting because, um, he kind of talked out both sides of his mouth a little bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and I think um, you know as you know again we have the the hindsight of 40 years, but magic has made almost a bill, you know, I mean he's 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 a he's worth hundreds of millions of dollars from his business interests and stuff like that. He owns how many movie theaters and all this other stuff. And Kareem at one point later in his career, and I thought it was interesting. He was talking about his portfolio in the recession of the late 70s and how he was going to retire after the 79-80 season. Um, uh, but at, at some point toward the end of his career, I remember reading a story where where Kareem said, "Hey, I want to get into some of these advertisements and and be in television commercials just like you are and stuff like that." And and Magic had to tell him, you know, Cap, you you can't. You don't have the personality. I, I don't mean this in a negative way, but you you are not as good at selling stuff. You don't have you know you you don't present yourself in that way. And I you know he. Uh, Kareem I know wanted to get into coaching in the NBA and he had kind of distanced himself from so many people because of his personality that I don't know and and I'll look it up here real quick, I don't think he ever was hired as an assistant coach in the NBA, even though he wanted to get into uh, coaching. So yeah, I don't,
1: I don't... Think he was either. He coached in college for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I don't think I think you're right. I don't think he ever was an NBA coach.
0: He was an assistant for the Clippers for one season. I'm looking it up right now. He was an assistant for one season. Um, and then he did some stuff with like some high school kids or something like that in Arizona. Um but um uh, Yeah, he's he's been he's again his renaissance has been in like the media with writing and uh, activism and things like that. Um, He's done some stuff with jazz, done some stuff with uh, African American history, uh, writing essays for magazines and things like that. So um, it's just an interesting story of of him as well. So um, I thought they did a pretty good job of it. I think we're both in agree. We're both in agreement that we understand why they had to go into the backstory. It felt like a couple of scenes got a little bit long, especially the scene where he went into the mosque uh, towards the end of the episode. But overall, I thought they did a pretty good job of kind of laying it all out there in the Kareem episode. What did you think, Case?
1: Yeah, I thought so too. I mean, they they got through everything. I think they need to do to kind of show his life a little bit and kind of go through the stages of how he dealt with it on the floor mm-hmm. um, and how he had to grow a little bit more as a basketball player, just not as a human being.
0: hmm Yeah. Um, a couple of things here. Um, and I also think this, another theme for this episode, um, the, if I were to narrow history, there was a lot of history in this episode, I thought. Uh, and and I'll get to that here in a little bit. Uh, but um, one of the... And, and we're going to stay with Kareem here for a little while longer. I apologize. But uh, Kareem boycotting the Olympics in 1968. I had forgotten that he boycotted the Olympics in
1: 1968. I I had as well. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of forgot that he had done that because, man, he would have what do you say you won so many titles so many national titles and should have had should have an olympic medal
0: yeah yeah he kind of laid it on magic in the training room there like you think you're big stuff but take a look what i've done here young fella so yeah so i that got me to thinking and i went back and i like well if kareem didn't play on the 1968 olympic team cuz that's the year he would have been eligible was 68 yep then who did play on the olympic team Okay, so uh, the coach, do you know who the coach of the 1968 Olympic team was? You're probably no. not going to
1: know it. No, I don't.
0: Hank Iba from Oklahoma A&M, now Oklahoma State. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, I looked at the roster. There were There were 12 players on the roster. Okay. Best player, Spencer Haywood. Hall of Famer. Great player, all right? Their second and third best players were JoJo White out of, I believe, Kansas. He played at Kansas, then he played with the Celtics for about a decade or so. And Charlie Scott, who played at North Carolina, broke the color barrier in the ACC, Dean Smith's first uh, African-American recruit. And then I dug deeper into the roster. This might be the worst Olympic roster I have ever heard of in the history of American Olympic rosters. And then now all of these gentlemen in their primes were much better players than you and I ever were combined. I understand that. But I'm guarantee you if I name off these names, Casey, if, if you know any of these names, I will buy you dinner. All right? All right. Are you ready? Uh, yep. Yeah. Mike Burnett from the West Virginia Institute of Technology. Never heard of him. He played one, uh, four years in the ABA. John Claussen, a 6'4 forward from the University of Michigan. Heard of him? Nope. Nope. Played in the ABA for one year. Don D., a 6'8 forward from St. Mary's of the Plains. Uh. Okay. Played in the ABA for one year. Okay. Calvin Fowler was playing for a semi-pro team, the Akron Wingers, or something like that. Um, he was, like, almost 30 years old when he played in the Olympics for the for the USA Olympic team. This was back, you know, again, in 1968. So, um, Bill Haskett from Ohio State. He played in the NBA for four years. Uh, a guy named Jim King, who literally I could find nothing on. He just, yeah, he was on the team. Uh, Glenn Salters from Louisiana Monroe, he played in the ABA for one year. Mike Silliman, a 6'6 forward from Army, played for Bobby Knight. Uh, he played one year in the NBA, scored 91 points in 36 games for the Buffalo Braves. And Kenny Spain from the University of Houston, and he played in the ABA for two years. That, my friends, is your 1968 USA Olympic basketball team. Would you? Oh, no. Would you like to know three players that they passed on for this team. Sure. Rick Mount, the great shooter out of Purdue, averaged about 33 points a game. Elvin Hayes from the University of Houston did not make the team. And, drum roll, please, Pistol Pete Maravich did not make the 1968 Olympic team even though he was averaging 44 points a game for Louisiana State. Wow. Isn't that crazy? So that's... that team, and what's crazy is that team still won the gold medal convincingly. Yeah, that's,
1: that, that's what's crazy. Uh, the rest of the world must have been really bad at basketball. Then.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So here's a. Te- now, if you take Spencer Haywood, JoJo White, Charlie Scott, Lou Alcinder, Rick Mount, Elvin Hayes, Pete Maravich, that's seven really awesome basketball players.
1: Well, that's hall- seven Hall of Famers. Roughly. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. So I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, And then my last historical note on Kareem, and I just saw this on Twitter. Did you know 38 years ago today, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar passed Wilt Chamberlain to become the NBA's all-time leading scorer?
1: Really? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So there is your fill of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Knowledge. We have dropped so much cream, Abdul Jabbar. Knowledge. Our listeners are going to be stunned, Mister Hall.
1: Yeah, they're going to be like, "Okay, you guys have talked too much about cream." <laughs> All right, so let's talk about some other <laughs> stuff. What?
0: Uh, uh, what do you? Uh, what else did you like? What? What did you not like about the episode?
1: Um, I liked. I liked how it started out, where uh, Jack McKinney pretty much went up to Magic and lied to him and said that. You need to be the leader, or you're the leader of this team, and you need to step up and do more leading on the floor and off the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Magic kind of is taken aback by that, which he probably should be with Kareem as captain and everything. But um, I like I like that how he had to he kind of forced Magic to. I mean, he was already very outgoing, very outspoken. Magic was, but he told him to kind of get more into a leadership role because um, they'll follow him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked, I liked where that went throughout the whole episode from where him telling him that to a practice to the next practice, then him and Kareem having confrontation, mm-hmm. um, then to them agreeing on how they wanted to play as a team. Yeah, So I, I, I liked, I liked that aspect of the movie kind of just showing the growth and Um, a coach putting the trust in now one of the best time best players of all time.
0: Yeah, and McKinney recognized that right away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for it's one thing for the coach to recognize it, but we both we both uh, you know as we've said many times, you and I have done this job for a long time, and it's hard to have younger players having enough. Gumption, a, and then credibility, b, to tell an older player what to do. Uh, In our situation, it's a freshman or a sophomore telling a junior or senior what to do on the floor or in the locker room or that type of thing. And that's that's hard. That type of leadership is hard to find. And you know, Magic had that thing. You know, he had that quality about him that you can't coach that. You either have it or you don't have it.
1: Oh, yeah. You're very, very spot on right there. Um, You're either a leader from the get-go or you're not, which there's nothing the matter with it. I mean, you don't have to be the most outspoken leader at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many people lead in different ways. And I think everyone kind of knew and McKinney saw it right away was... Magic's going to lead how he plays, and he's going to lead with his voice as well.
0: Yep, absolutely. Um, Any other favorite stuff that you enjoyed from the episode?
1: Um, I liked, I mean, I know they had to show it, just the change of the forum and how Jerry Buss wanted everything to be, um, but I just, he just, he gets me every time because he's so... He's so happy for a second, like, oh, this is going great. And then all of a sudden it's like a pen dropped and he just loses it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, from when they had the forum bar opening up to the dancer stuff, like he just, it was perfect. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, like he's lighting his daughter up or assistants up. Mm-hmm. Lighting Frank up as bank man or bank guy. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm starting to like Frank. He's he's yeah. pretty funny.
1: Oh, so, uh, that was that was another good part. I thought just kind of showing. I think a lot of it was just showing how they changed so much. Try to change it to be a a show mm-hmm. more than just a basketball game.
0: And how people fought that change, right? You know, and, and sometimes you have to change. You need to change in order to stay one step ahead or two steps ahead of everybody else. And, but, and there's, they, but there's always going to be people that are going to fight that change.
1: Yeah, and they made the change that changed the NBA for the better. Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Um, like I said, I liked the history in this one. Uh, the short little, I don't know, 30 to 45 second uh, story of Spencer Haywood um, and his uh Opening up the door for the hardship rule to to yeah. be part of the the NBA landscape that we are so familiar with. Uh, today we call it the one and duns. And there's probably an overabundance of one and duns today. I, I mean, you know again, well, you know, I don't want to be the old man yelling at the clouds, but you know, Chris Mullen stayed in college for four years, Ewing stayed in college for four years and and you kind of grew this attachment to certain players and teams. You know, if you were going to declare early, uh, you were going to be a top five pick. That was the only reason why you declared early. Uh, if you were a Jordan, if you were an Elijah Wan, or somebody like that. And now we have, you know, guys that are declaring that won't get drafted. Um, you know, so. Uh, but I thought the, the history of Spencer Haywood uh, was really important in in the story of the show. Um, speaking of history, a couple, uh, a couple of nice little sightings there. Uh, a Kobe Bryant, uh, precursor side, uh, sighting with his dad, um, playing for the Clippers in the first game there. Uh, a Paula Abdul sighting, one of my teenage crushes, uh, Paula Abdul, uh, sighting there. So I, I thought that was pretty good. I enjoyed, <clears throat> uh, and again, it was the, it was the late seventies, uh, but when, uh, when Kareem was getting the massage, and the trainer was was sucking on the Marlboro while he yeah. was getting, giving the massage. I thought that was quite the nice touch as well.
1: I was just waiting for an ash to fall off <laughs> on his back or something. Just to get a laugh out of the show.
0: You bet. Um, any uh, so that's kind of the best stuff that we liked. Uh, any
1: uh,
0: it, it, we we've called it the worst scene of the episode. Was there anything that stuck out for you?
1: Um, I think. Just continuing to have Jerry Buss's mom involved. I know she's involved because she's dealing with a lot of the money and the contracts with buying to the forum and everything. Um, I think we've kind of wore out our welcome with that a little bit. We know he's supposedly going broke.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I think that's just kind of – we had it for three episodes now. All right, let's move on.
0: Yeah, yeah. I thought the uh, I agree with you there. Um, I also again I kind of I said this earlier. I thought the mosque scene at the end. I understand uh, why you had the layers to it and and why it was why it was part of it. And uh, I, I just thought that was a little bit long, but that's that's a nitpick, um, not not a huge deal. Um, I didn't. Um, I thought the the Jerry bus kind of like I said you know kind of going over the top on the, you know he's worried about the the bar. Um what do you call that that little flippy door? I know there's a name for it. The the dumbwaiter? Yeah. Is that what it's called?
1: I can't even remember what yeah. it's called. Yeah,
0: but you know, okay. How how essential is that really for the story? Uh um, yeah. let's let's kind of keep moving forward here. Um so just it, there wasn't any really really bad scenes uh but just kind of, you know, could have moved on a little bit quicker and maybe had another minute or two on McKinney or another minute or two on uh the team itself and the the construct of the team and the social dynamics of the team uh but I'm always gonna lean that way that's just me um as well so uh your grade for the basketball realism from A to F my friend what'd you have
1: um I think it's a b okay I had a b plus um, I think I think just you should we didn't see a ton of on-court stuff mm-hmm not as much as we saw the previous week. Um, we saw some just game and stuff and how they got up and down the floor uh, and then out of the timeout where they drew up the play uh, to get a shot to win the game. Um, but I think you saw a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff in the locker room and how you have the different dynamic of players mm-hmm. uh, yep. from young to old to wanting to be a leader or being told to be a leader to someone that's out of their prime a little bit and needs to change to get with the times a little.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I had about, I had a B plus, um, as a basketball coach, I've never seen from blue chips. uh, I think probably the most realistic one is maybe Hoosiers. Um, but have you ever seen a huddle in a movie, a basketball huddle on a timeout or a quarter break or whatever it may be, that is really like any huddle that you've ever been in? No, no, no. And I, and I you know, again, we, they 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 called or they had the timeout with four seconds left in the Clippers game, and Cream goes and sits at the end of the bench. It's like, really, that's that's really going to happen? You know, come on. Um, now, so that's that's a nitpick there. Um, you know, I agreed with you, like the locker room before the game and the dynamics, the social dynamics of the locker room. Um, now I will say, um, well, I'll save that for later here. Um, one of the things that I thought was kind of realistic, um, when McKinney was in his office and him and him and Westfall are getting ready to go for the first game. And finally Westfall says, Hey, at some point we got to play the first game. Let's just go. You know, and we got to go. And I think that's true for a lot of us, whether it's the first game of our career or the first game of the season. At some point, you just got to go out and play. And I, I think that was really realistic for me as a coach, watching McKinney just like as you go into that first game. And I've been through 26 or 27 first games of a season. And you never feel like you're ever ready for the first game of the season. But at some point, you just got to go out and go. And I thought that was pretty realistic.
1: Yeah, and that's the big thing. It's like we all get to that point after we've gone through November of practice for three weeks. And we're like, all right, can we have a game now? Mm
0: -hmm. We've
1: done enough. We've done enough of practice against each other. We need to see it it against somebody else to see where we're at. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's that's very true when he walked in and said, Let's go. We gotta have our first. Let's get it done with. Yep.
0: Yep, exactly. Um this week's award for who uh, who made the most out of the eighties and survived. Uh you want me to go with this one? Sure. Okay. I am going to go with Spencer Haywood.
1: Uh I they we're both on the same page.
0: (laughs) Um and this is a PG-13 program. Um, I would not trust Spencer Haywood with any surgical procedures. I'm just going to leave it at that uh, without going into any details. If you watch the episode, you know what I'm talking about. And if they portray Spencer Haywood according to the truth and what actually happened here, uh, you ain't seen nothing yet with Spencer Haywood. Uh, yeah. Um, Your thoughts on Mister Haywood?
1: He, uh, you said it well. There's going to be a lot more we learn about him, uh, hopefully in the next episodes and everything. But he was, if it's it's accurate, yes, yes,
0: accurate, yes,
1: Yes. if it's accurate, Um, very interesting man. (laughs) But he was also he also um, was very. Intuitive, I guess you could say, and they are very conscious of what was happening around him and saw the changes that Kareem needed to make to help the mm-hmm. basketball team out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but he was very flamboyant as well, I guess you could say.
0: Yeah, and I thought it was it was a, an extremely tiny detail, uh, but the scene where Haywood uh, goes and visits Kareem at his house, and they're walking in his garden area or whatever, overlooking L.A., and mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but they weren't smoking a cigarette. They were smoking something else. Yeah. Um, but Kareem has had trouble his entire life with migraine headaches. And he believes that that helps with the symptoms and preventing him from having migraines. And I thought that was just this tiny little detail that unless you're really paying attention, you don't really... Notice that, and if you notice that, some people may just assume, well, he's just smoking that because he's just because, but he actually had a medicinal reason for doing that.
1: Right. Yeah. But, yeah. And we'll then, if if the story's true, we'll find out more about Spencer Haywood and his... Social life. Social life and the things he enjoyed outside of basketball.
0: Yes, yes. So uh we'll see how they how the uh producers choose to uh portray that but spencer haywood uh breaks into this column this week here uh the who who uh, made the most out of the 80s and survived the award winner this week mr spencer haywood so uh Casey, uh what coaching point or concept are you going to steal from this episode
1: um i'd like i i mean one i think um... Jack kind of coming to realize that he can put, he can put this team in magic's hands and let him go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think sometimes, um, for every coach at some point in their coaching career, they're very hesitant on for a high school coach like we are, um, to put the keys in a freshman's hands mm-hmm. and say, here you go. Run right. my team. Um, I think seeing how he handled it um, and kind of lying, (laughs) saying that – We've
0: never lied as coaches, (laughs) Casey.
1: Right, right, that um, Cap Kareem didn't want it anymore and he was pretty much done and Magic, it's all yours and step up and take it. Um, I think that kind of shows that, one, you're just saying, hey – I'm gonna put my trust in you. You're gonna I'm gonna live or die with this job mm-hmm. on you. Yeah. So take me to the promised land.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um I had three or four coaching points that I took from from this one. Um and we kind of talked about it a little bit, the first one here last week, uh the work ethic of, of Jack McKinney. Um I mean the guy just he busted his butt, you know. Uh he was he was uh uh he was a grinder. You know, and and if you're going to be good at anything, if you're going to be a good checkers player, you got to practice. You got to put in the time. You got to, as we say at a pen and a napkin, hone your craft. And McKinney definitely put his time in to hone his craft. So I was impressed with that. Um, The biggest thing, the, the biggest coaching point that I took from this is your team is never really going to click unless your best player truly buys into what you're doing. And the Lakers were adequate they were solid they were pretty good but they didn't become great until Kareem bought completely into everything that they were doing and when and you can be decent if your best player isn't bought in you can be pretty good if your best player isn't bought in but you're not going to be great unless your best player and and more specifically all of your players are bought in but if your best player is bought in then your team has a chance to be as good as it possibly can be and i i've been there in both situations i've had situations where my best players have bought in and we had awesome seasons i had i've had a couple of seasons where our best players weren't bought in and they were really really long seasons and and that was kind of the biggest thing that i took from it this week uh that was my coaching point of the week
1: okay Yep. I agree with that. Like you've got to get buy-in from everybody, otherwise it could be a really long season.
0: Yep, yep. And uh, the last real, real quick coaching point that I took from this one, uh, you got you got to learn how to enjoy the victories along the way. You got to learn how to. And, and McKinney, you know, he was so worried about winning that he wasn't really enjoying himself. And finally, Westfall and him had the beer in the coach's office, and hey, all right, let's breathe a little bit. Let's relax. This is supposed to be fun you know, yada, 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 and, and I thought that was good, so, um, I gave this episode a B plus, sir, um, I thought it was a good episode, uh, I thought the Kareem stuff got a little long, um, maybe could have redirected a few things at some, uh, a couple other players and, and stuff, um, but there were, uh, there were no really bad scenes, and the basketball stuff was pretty good. I thought we had a lot of basketball stuff uh the 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 background on Kareem was really interesting altogether uh you had a different perspective of him at the end of the episode than you did at the beginning and so I gave this episode a b plus What did you give it?
1: I gave it a b okay i thought it was i thought it was really solid um getting a lot of kareem storyline stuff out like you said, but then also uh, seeing a lot of the basketball dynamic and how the team went from not playing together at all to finally starting to buy in a little bit more um, to what Jack was trying to get done.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Very good. So we we were very close on our great. We uh, we were both in the same neighborhood on the basketball realism. We both had the same 80s award winner. We b- very close on the overall great. Great minds think alike. Mr. Casey exactly. Hall, exactly. So, well, that is it for episode five. For, for me, Casey, you got anything to add?
1: No, I don't. Oh. I thought it was a good episode. I'm kind of excited to see now what happens as we saw at the end um, on the transition transition that will happen with um, Paul Westfall and mm-hmm. potentially uh, Patrick Riley. Yeah,
0: yeah, and uh, yeah, that's exactly what happened to Jack McKinney. He was on a bicycle he was going to play some tennis and something broke and he flipped over the handlebars and um you know unfortunately he's just you know without this he would just be a footnote in history unless you were a real basketball geek you would never know who jack mckinney is but uh it's good to see he got his due a little bit in this program i guess that's a po- that's a real positive that came out of it as well so yeah um all right, well, hey, that is, that is our review of Winning Time, Episode 5, Pieces of a Man. I hope you folks enjoyed it. Uh, for Casey Hall, my name is Marty Plum. Uh, hope you enjoyed this podcast, and we'll have more A Pen and a Napkin Uh content later on this week we'll have a foundation friday on friday and we'll have another interview next week and we'll be reviewing this hopefully we'll be back to our regularly scheduled uh we'll dr- be dropping our next review monday morning and next interview will be tuesday morning so coaches as always let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time